Well, good morning. I'm going to go get my stand. No, you're fine. You did. That was very nice. I appreciate that. How's everyone doing this morning? Good? Good, good, good. You probably saw me bring two waters up here. I hope that didn't scare you. Um, let me get this open. Okay. Well, like, like she said, I'm so excited to be able to share the word with you this morning. Um, just every opportunity that I get to just be, come up here and share with the word with you is a blessing in of itself. Um, I don't take it for lightly, and I just, I'm thankful that God gives us opportunities to share his word and to pro- proclaim his name. Um, so if you've got your Bibles this morning, go ahead and turn with me to the book of Acts. We're going to go to Acts chapter 1, and we're going to start in verse 4 this morning. Put this right there. So Acts verse four, or chapter 1 verse 4 says this. Jesus says, while, or while, Luke says, while he was with them, saying of Jesus, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem. Oh, Okay, I need to be reading out of that one. Okay. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So we see this verse, and we see a lot of things stand out at once. So if we go back to the beginning of the verse, I think verse 4, we see that Jesus is actually eating with his disciples. So we know that Jesus has gotten out of the grave, that he's gone to the cross, that he's taken on the sins of the world, that he's died and resurrected on the third day, and he's resurrected, and he's once again with his disciples for a period of 40 days. And so while they're together, they're present with one another. And it even says while he was eating with them. Now, I don't know about you, but I would love to be able to eat with Jesus. It would, I, like, I would enjoy that time so much because not only were they, has he eating with them, but they were in fellowship with one another. That they were continually, that all the disciples were with Jesus and they were in fellowship with one another. So Jesus used the 40 days after his resurrection from the grave to present himself alive and continue to minister to them about the kingdom of God through the proof that he was who he said he was. That he had already said that he was going to go to the cross and be resurrected on the third day. And so he used, after he had shown them of this proof, because we know that once Jesus makes a promise, it's true. That once he had done shown them of this proof, that he used these 40 days to minister to his disciples. Because he knew, and they knew that there was going to be a time where he was not with them. That he was going to ascend back up to heaven. So, he uses these 40 days to present himself to the disciples. And we also see something, I think, in verse 5, or at the end of verse 4, when he says this. He says, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised. But He says, but wait. That he had reminded them, that he had, back in the book of John, when Jesus, before he went to the cross, he had told them of the gift that would come. In fact, in John 14, 26, it says this. Jesus tells them, but the counselor, the Holy Spirit, 
whom, my fa- whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and remind you of everything I have told you. Now, remind you, this was before Jesus went to the cross. So in the book of Acts, he reminds them of this promise that he made to them before he went to the cross. And he reminds them that this promise is going to come to fruition, but they're going to have to wait for it. So we know that the Holy Spirit guides us, that it teaches us, that it is a teacher and a comforter to us. And so if we go on in the book of Acts, we see something that really, I believe, begins to not only has the ability to transform us, but it has the ability to minister to us in the way uh, that we all are individuals here. That mom's one individual, and Miss Joy's one individual, and Miss Margaret's one individual, and all of us are like different individuals here. But we each have different spiritual gifts. We each have different talents and different things that we're good at. But as the body of Christ, we're not called to just be individually separate from one another. That we're not supposed to be isolated from one another and just not with the body of Christ. But I believe that Luke tells us something in Acts that has the ability to transform us and remind us that we are simply better together. You see, as we've, well, you might can see it, but we had our little uh, conference last week and the theme was better together. And so that simply spoke to me and ministered to me in a way that I can't even begin to describe because there was a point in my life where like I thought isolation was better than being better together, but that's simply not the case. Because it's simply when we're better together, when when we're with one another, then we're able to minister to others about the goodness of God. So we're going to skip down to verse 12 um, for time's sake. But it says this, then they return to Jerusalem. Now, in the previous verses, Jesus ascends to heaven. So we're just going to go and start in verse 12. Then they return to Jerusalem from the Mount of Olives, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath, a Sabbath day's journey away. When they arrived, they went to the room upstairs where they were staying. Peter, John, James, Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas, the son of James. They all were continually united. I want you to pay attention. If you've got something to underline, pay attention to this. It says they all were continually united in prayer, along with the women, including Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. So there's really something that sticks out right there is that they all were continually united. That they weren't just, they were separate beings. They were separate individuals. It tells us there was, there were Peter there, there was James there, there was John there, but they came together in unity. They came together as a body to not only pray, but pray in a way that was in unity with one another. That their prayers weren't just simply Peter praying this one prayer and Bartholomew praying this other prayer, but rather when they prayed, they were in unity with one another. They had the same mindset when they were praying. So for the early church, there was a goal in mind. There was a goal that they set out for themselves to be a united and collected people of prayer as they awaited the promise of the Holy Spirit. They had, they had heard of the promise that Jesus had made to them, but they had not yet seen the fulfillment of that promise. But in the waiting for the fulfillment of the promise, what did they do? They went and they came together and they united with one another in prayer. So, I'm going to get some water because I don't want to get parched mouth. Uh, it's happened before, and it's not very good. So we know that that, that was their goal, is that after Jesus ascended, 
their goal was to be in unity with one another in prayer, in constant communication with the Father. So I believe there's two reasons why, and there's many other reasons why you know, the apostles prayed this way. But I believe there's two reasons that have the ability that we not only can apply to our prayer lives, but had the ability to transform our lives in prayer. And there are two reasons that really spoke to me as I prepared this message. And it was kind of convicting me because, you know, I don't pray like I need to sometimes. But I know that there's a call for all of us to pray, to come together as a body and pray in these ways. So the early church, one of their ways that they prayed was they were persistent, that they continued to pray. They continued to pray even though they had not yet seen the promise be fulfilled. See, there are times where we don't see promises being fulfilled sometimes in our lives. That we know there are promises on our lives, but we haven't yet seen those fulfillment, the fulfillment of that promise. But we know that in the waiting period, that we're to be people of prayer. That we're to be people of persistent prayer. Not only consistent prayer and doing it a lot, doing it a lot but in persistent and pushing through and praying to our Father who is able to respond to us in that prayer and change us. Now, I don't know about you, but sometimes prayer won't change your situations, but prayer will change you. It won't sometimes change, you know, what you're going through, but it will change how you view what you're going through. So the early church were persistent in prayer. They continued to, even though they had not yet seen that promise be fulfilled. They knew the promise was going to be fulfilled, but in waiting for that promise to be fulfilled, they prayed. And they not only prayed as individuals, but they prayed as a collected unit. So, after they were persistent in prayer, there's another reason that they prayed in this way, that if we apply to our lives, that will transform our prayer lives as well. So, one of the other things they had done was they applied the example they had seen from Jesus himself. They had seen Jesus praying in a man of prayer while he was still on this earth. They had seen him, you know, go to the corner go to a private spot and pray to his father, that he was in constant communication with the father as he walked this earth. And so they had seen that for the, with their own eyes. They had seen them go in the synagogues and teach, but he was not with them anymore because he's done ascended to heaven. But they remembered what he had done. They remembered that he was a person of prayer, that he was in constant communication with the father. And so since they remembered it, they applied that example to the situation. They applied the example that even though Jesus was not yet still with them because he had done ascended, they were still going to be a people united and collected in prayer. So when they united and came together, they were in one mind and one accord. So if you'll go back to verse uh, where is it? Verse 14. Oh, well, I'm confused. Oh, if you go back to the beginning of first, okay, never mind, it's right here. I'm just losing my mind right now. So they all were continually united in prayer. So your Bible might say they were, they were all in one accord, that they had the same mindset. They shared the same mindset with one another, that they were going to be a people of prayer. That not only their prayer were they praying, but they were going to be, have the same mindset in praying. That they were going to be joined together while they were praying, and praying for the same exact thing, which was the promise that God had promised them and for their lives to be transformed. So it's important for you and me to realize that that same thing, that same goal that the early church had is something that is a goal that needs to be one of ours. It's important to realize that as the body of Christ, we are far more effective and able to proclaim the gospel and share his name when we're together. That simply 
It doesn't mean that we can't go out and individually minister to others. It doesn't mean that we can't individually go out and proclaim of God's goodness to others. But there's a special anointing when we're together. That when we're in perfect harmony with one another, then we sh- that when we share that same vision, that we're able to go out and do what's impossible, made possible only through God. So the body of Christ is not just simply a, ra- a random gathering of individuals. Rather, it's a collective unit focused on one thing alone. It is a collective unit of you and I going out and proclaiming God's goodness and his name to all. So right here, I've got a hand. It's Anatomy 101 for y'all. This is a hand. Uh, I know some of you kids have uh, exams next week, so if you're you know, struggling in anatomy, Ty, uh, this is a hand. So... This is a hand right here. Anatomy 101. So without the wrist, it can't move. If it's just sitting like that, it's just going to stay. But since it's connected to the wrist, it's able to move. It's able to wave. And it's able to function because it's connected to its source. Because it's connected to the wrist, which is then connected to the arm, which is then connected to the body, which is able to through its connections, to carry out an everyday function like eating. I know a lot of you like eating. I'm one of them. So without your hands, you can't eat. But since your hand is connected to its source, which is the wrist, since they're in combined conjunction with one another, it's able to perform that function. So it's a collective unit of the hand and the wrist coming together to be able to function. That's kind of like me and you, how we are better together. That there's simply all of us, when we come in a collective unit with one another, that we're able to go out and to minister to others. So I think there's also another place where we see a collected unit of individuals centering themselves around one goal in the Bible. And it's one of my favorite stories. I hope it's one of yours too because I love this story. I remember hearing this story like forever, and I've always stuck to it. But back 1,500 years before the early church, we see in the book of Joshua a man and his army walk and march around the walls of Jericho. So in Joshua 6, we're going to flip there real quick, and we're going to start in verse 1. Oh, Scott is on the roll this morning. So, It says, now Jericho was strongly fortified because of the Israelites, no one leaving or entering. So imagine a fence that you might have something in. Okay, imagine like a chicken coop. Okay, the chickens are in that coop. They can't leave and they can't get in. Or they can't leave and they can't escape or they can't get in if you've got that gate closed. That was like the wall, that was like the city of Jericho. That there was no one coming in and there was no one going to be able to exit. So the Lord said to Joshua, look, I have handed Jericho its king and its best soldiers over to you. March around the city with all the men of war, circling the city one time. Do this for six days. Have seven priests carry seven ram's horns trumpets in front of the ark. But on the seventh day, march around the city seven times while the priests blow the trumpets. When there is a prolonged blast of the horn, and you hear its sound, have all the troops give a mighty shout. Then the city wall will collapse, and the troops will advance, each man straight ahead. So we see in this story that there's, you know, there's a wall, or there are walls in Jericho 
that simply no one can enter and no one can get in to the city because there's a wall. So the Lord makes this promise to Joshua, and he commands him, and he gives him commands on what he and his army are supposed to do. So I think we can realize in the beginning of the story that God can give instruction to others in order so that they may can give that instruction to us. That God uses other people to accomplish the purpose in our own lives. That, for instance, he's placed my mother, who I love dearly. I love you, Mom. Just saying. But he's placed my mother in an authoritative role over my life. Now, sometimes I may disagree, you know. Not written, don't need to disagree, but my mother is the authority position in my life. She's given him authority to go out and be like my teacher and someone who disciplines me when I need discipline and shows me what is right from wrong. And so God spoke to Joshua in the way, and so that the armies that Joshua commanded may be able to follow him. So they were all ordered to give a shout at one specific time. So once again, they were united with one another. They were ordered to give a shout at one specific time because God knew that when they were united with one another, that they could do what was impossible made possible. They were all ordered to march as well. They weren't just simply ordered to just walk around the wall. But when you think of a march, it's like a march. It's the, well, hold on. It's the that, that, that. But it's in unity with one another. Uh, It was not a good march, um, but I tried my best. So they were marching around the wall with one another. They were in unity and harmony with one another, sharing that same vision and sharing that same goal. And when they did it in unity with one another, then the wall would collapse. That simply trying to do it on their own or trying to do it by themselves, they couldn't have done it. But since they were with one another, since they were joined together with the same vision, with the same goal in mind... They followed through, and they followed God's commands. And as we're going to see in these next few verses, God did what was impossible to man, made possible through him. So go to, we're going to start back in verse 6, which says, So Joshua, son of Nun, summoned the priest and said to them, Take up the Ark of the Covenant and have seven priests carry seven trumpets in front of the Ark of the Lord. He said to the troops, Move forward, march around the city, and have the armed men go ahead of the ark of the Lord. After Joshua had spoken to the troops, seven priests carrying seven trumpets before the Lord moved forward and blew the trumpets, the ark of the Lord's covenant following them. While the trumpets were blowing, the armed men went in front of the priest who blew the trumpets, and the rear guard went behind the ark. But Joshua had commanded the troops, Do not shout or let your voice be heard. Don't let one word come out of your mouth until the time I say shout. Then you are to shout. So the ark of the Lord was carried around the city, circling it once. They returned to the camp and spent the night there. So if we go back to the previous verse, we see that Joshua tells his members of the army not to do anything until he commands them to do so. That he had been given authority by God. He had been given instruction by God so that the Israelites may march around the wall and the walls may collapse. But they had to do it in harmony with one another. They had to do it in unity with one another. You see, it says, Do not shout or let your voice be heard. Don't let one word come out of your mouth until the time I say shout. You see, there were probably hundreds of army members, yet none of them let a voice shout until Joshua said shout. 
this is like a clear demonstration of how they were unified together, how they were solely unified on one purpose and one purpose alone, and that was walking, marching around the walls and following the commands that God had given them. And so something else that like kind of stuck out to me in this verse, um, and I don't know if it might have stuck out to you, but how the Israelites' perception was not affected by the people in Jericho. Like how the people in Jericho might have thought that they were absolutely crazy for just marching around the walls, but the Israelites didn't allow that perception to pivot them from that goal. So, you know, we know that the people in Jericho were panicking because they were afraid because they had seen the Lord's power being shown at work, but they probably didn't expect it to be in the form of marching just around the walls. But for the Israelites, they weren't concerned with the perception that the people of Jericho had, that they weren't going to allow that perception to pivot them from that goal, but rather they were going to remain focused on the promise that God had made to them. They weren't going to conform to what other, others thought, but they were going to stay on the track, on the goal, unified as one another with that same vision. So in our lives today, our actions today cannot be justified based on how our world perceives something. That when we go out and live our lives, that it can't be justified based on what kind of false truth or false narrative our world is trying to push. That it can't even be based on what a temporary emotion or temporary feeling might be telling us. But rather, our actions have to be rooted. They have to stem from truth. They have to stem from the promises that God has breathed into his truth. And they have to be promises that we hold to with dear heart and we hold to and know that, okay, we're not conforming to what others are saying. We're not conforming to what others are thinking, what they might say in the future, what that might say right now, but rather we're going to stay on this path. We're going to know that what God has promised is true. What God has promised is renewing. What God has promised has the ability to transform us, and we're going to keep on that path and let our actions from that stem from such. So God's word is like a bedrock of truth. It is the simple, it cannot be broken, and it is solid. So this is kind of like a Gen Z example, um, but I don't know how this came to me. God just speaks in miraculous ways. He really does. But if you've ever played the game Minecraft, which, I mean, I know who I'm speaking to. A lot of you may have not. Um, but <laughs> my mom's just shaking her head. Nope. Okay, there is a thing called bedrock at the bottom of the world. Now, I'll say this. I have not played Minecraft in seven years. I don't know if this is still true, but it was there when I played it. So, there's a thing called bedrock at the bottom of the world. And so, you can dig as far as you want to. You can dig as far as you want to to reach that. But once you reach that level, it can't be broken. I think it's like 240 blocks or something. Um, totally irrelevant to the conversation. Um, I'll get one, of, get one of the kids to check me. You know, they, they know more about it than I do. But it's once you reach this bedrock that you can't use any tool to break that bedrock. That once you reach it, it's solid. It can't be broken into. It can't be broken through. And that's the limit to where you can you know, get in the world. And so I think that's not how God's word is. That it is truth. That it's not going to be broken. That it's the same yesterday as it is today. And it will be the same tomorrow that it is today. And so we know that God's word, word is the bedrock of all truth. That it's not going to be broken. That it's solid in of itself. And so from that is where our actions have to be perceived and perspected and stemmed from. So when our actions are stemmed from that, 
then we're able to live our lives as holy lives, and we're able to walk into promises that God has made because our actions are stemming from that and not of the world, or even not of that of our temporary feelings or emotions. So in verse 15, uh, we're going to go to Joshua 6, 15. Just skip, we're going to skip down a little. And the Israelites have marched around the walls for six days, and they're preparing to march around the wall seven times on the seventh day. So verse 15 says this. It says, Early on the seventh, seventh day, they started at dawn and marched around the city seven times in the same way. That was the only day they marched around the city seven times. Now, once again, they marched around the city. They didn't just walk as you and me may just walk in, you know, sometimes when we just go out, but they marched. They were in unity with one another. After the seventh time, the priest blew the trumpets, and Joshua said to the troops, Shout, for the Lord has given you the city. And we see in verse 20, it says this. So the troops shouted, and the trumpets sounded. When they heard the blast of the trumpet, the troops gave a great shout, and the wall collapsed. The troops advanced into the city, each man straight ahead, and they captured the city. They completely destroyed everything in the city with the sword. Every man and woman, both young and old, and every ox, sheep, and donkey. So we can realize what one person was, could have tried to do was not going to happen. But they came together. They were unified on one set purpose. They were unified with one goal in mind, and that was to follow through on the promise that God had made to Joshua. That you know, you're going to march around this, imagine this right here. You're going to march around this, the walls right here. And when you march, when you're in unity with one another, when you're completely following and obeying my commands, then I'm going to do what's impossible and make the walls collapse. So, you know, from this story, I think we can see so many things about how, you know, God's goodness is being ministered through this, but not only that, how he ministers to us through unity with one another. So God fulfilled the promise that he had made to Joshua in the way that he promised to do so because they just didn't, they just didn't hear what God had said, but they put it into action. That they just didn't hear that promise, but they responded to that promise with obedience. So when, when God told Joshua to march around the city, that Joshua didn't just blow him off, blow him off and say, like, oh, well, that's not possible. Um, I'm not doing that. That doesn't make any sense at all. But no, he responded to that with obedience. And so since he responded to that with obedience, God directed his steps. He directed the steps of the Israelites, and he did what was impossible to man, made possible through him. And so they weren't just individuals. They were individuals, but they were united around one purpose. They were joined together as a unit, just not as individuals. See, they had the same mindset. They were in one accord with one another, but focused on one specific purpose. And so I kind of think of it like this. So how many of you like football? We like football in this you know, we, we all have our teams, Alabama, Auburn. Um, Mr. Gray likes Mississippi State, Hell State for you. Um, but if you're on offense on a football team, how each player, 11 players, have different assignments. The offensive line, guards. The running back, runs or blocks. The wide receiver runs routes or blocks for his running back. And the quarterback is the man who leads all into action. 
And so when all of these things are happening in perfect harmony, when they're set on that one goal on moving the ball as far down the field as they can, then they're able to not only know what you know, the promise is or know what they need to do, but they put it into action. I mean, unless you're Auburn sometimes, and then you just don't know what's happening. Um, love my Auburn Tigers. I can joke on them, but, you know, we struggle sometimes. That's why we're basketball school. Thank you, Bruce. But, you know, when they're joined around that one goal and when they're in perfect harmony with one another, then it's made much easier than just sticking 11 guys on a field and just running around. So there are 11 guys, but they're joined and together on that one purpose, and that is driving the ball down the field. That when they all have that same mindset, then their, their ability to do that is made much more possible than just going out in the field and just saying, hey, run. So I think for all of us, it's important that we be better together. It's important to know that isolation from the believers in Christ, isolation from one another, is something that not only has detrimental effect to our spiritual health in Christ, but it also has a detrimental effect to our ability to be with one another. So we need to know that we're better together, that in one accord, we're able to go out and to not only know Jesus for who he is and how he has the power to transform us, but we're able to know and to spread that and minister that to others. So why is it important that we be, one, be with one another? Why is it important that you know, today, on this Sunday at 11.33, that we're here in church as individuals, but we know that we're just not here as individuals. We're here as individuals in a house, that we're a collected house focused with one mindset and one mission and with one purpose, and that is knowing Jesus and making him known. So why is it important that we be better together in one accord? So the first thing, and I'm kind of wrapping up right now. So the first thing together is this, that when together with the believers, we seek to know more of the one we believe in. So when together with the believers, we seek to know more of the one we believe in. So I believe in, you know, in Genesis 2, God says, it is not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. That it's not good for us to just be alone, you know, separated, in isolation from one another. But God desired us to and desires us right now to be with one another, to have one another for encouragement, to have one another to learn from one another, to be in fellowship with one another, with one another. How many times can you say one another? So that we have the ability to grow in him and in our maturity for him. So we have to realize and just you know, fight off any lie that the enemy might be saying that we're better isolated than we're better together. Because if we're better isolated, then when we're walking through valleys, then we're never going to be, have anyone in our lowest times. Then we're going to be isolated not only from the people of God, but we're going to be isolated from God himself because we will be uh, bought into the lies of the enemy. So it's when we realize that we weren't meant to walk on this earth and interact on the earth alone that we begin to understand how much God desires us to know more. That even today, you can be the most brilliant scholar there is, but there is so much more that God desires and there's so much more that is in the word for you to know. There's so much more that even now to know about Jesus. There's so much more truth that we can discover to apply to our lives, that there's an unlimitless amount of truth. But when we're with one another, that the influence that each other has rubs off on one another. You see, 
I think when you spend time with one another, you obviously become, you know, more like who you're spending time with. You know, that's pretty much just a general consensus, general fact, that when you spend time with someone else, that that person has the ability to influence you. So if that person has the ability to influence you, then you better make sure you're spending time with the right people. <laughs> I mean, general, general rule of fact. So if you're spending time with people who are the body of Christ, who are seeking that same thing, who are seeking to know Jesus more in their walk with him, to know that there's not a place that they can be, that they won't need him, to know that that's their goal as well is to know Jesus and to make him known, that when you're in connection with one of those people, when you're in connection with one of those and with all of them, then that becomes what you desire to as well. And it not only begins to be what you desire, but that that desire never runs empty, that it's always being fed, that it's always continuing to be stirred within you. So something that's pointed or stuck out to me is in Matthew 5, and I've known this verse for a while. I mean, I know what it says, but something, Scripture has the amazing ability to teach you different things, even though you've licked at the verse a the verse hundred times. So back in Matthew 5, we see this when Jesus is uh, telling his disciples that they are the light of the world. That a, situa- or a city situated on a hill cannot be hidden. So he tells them that you are the light of the world. But pay attention. You are the light of the world. That you as an individual, that your light for Christ has the ability to shine for others. But when you combine with one another, when you come into agreement with one another, that when you're with united and collected in one accord and in one mindset with one another, that you make the light. That you know, I am the light of the world and I've given you authority to go spread that light. But in that instance, you are the light of the world. So you as the individual are not only the light of the world, but when you're the light of the world and when you're the light of the world and when you're the light of the world, then you have the ability to come together and to spread that light to others in a way that's not made possible by just one person, but that's made possible by a collected unit. So we need to realize that we are the light of the world, that there's no one else coming to spread that light, that there's a world out there that's trying to hide that light, but it's our job to spread that light not just in a sense, just as individuals, but as a collected unit, as a house, as a family, as a body that desires that same thing. So when together with the believers, we seek to know more of the one we believe in. So the second thing is this, that when in one accord in unity, as we seek the Lord more, our desire turns to sharing that with others. That when we're unified together, that we're, when we're with one another, that the desire that we have to not only know Jesus, but to share Jesus is just something that stirs so deeply within us. It is something that we have. So when we're with one another, when we're just, you know, as a church right now, that our desire should be to come together as one and share Jesus as we go out, as we exit those glass doors to share Jesus in our lives. So it's important to realize that Jesus has given me and you authority to do that, that he's given us all authority to go out and make disciples of all nations, to be witnesses of him in all Judea and all Samaria and to the ends of the earth, that not only are we to be lights of Christ here in the church, but we're to be lights of Christ in our communities, in our cities, 
around the nation, in our schools, in our workplaces, and everywhere that we have the ability to shine the light of Christ. So what kind of mindset do we need to have to do this? We have to have a united mindset. We have to have the same mind of that in our lives so that we may go out and do this very thing. So when we share that same vision, when we share that same goal as a church, as a body, as individuals coming together to form this body, when we share that same vision, then it begins to be something that we not only know is right, but we respond to. So we can know things are right, but we might not respond to them in obedience. But it not only is something that we just know is right, but we respond to in obedience. So having the same vision and the same goal means that what is impossible for the individual is made possible in unity with one another. There are simply things right now that, okay, for instance, I'll say this. Me and Pastor Jason came here last night, and we had to, we were lifting some, uh, some sort of bike. I don't know. It came in. The thing was really, really heavy. And so, I, you know, two strong men, Pastor Jason counts for one or, a half, or one and a half of them, because I'm not, you know, I'm maybe a little bit strong, but that's not the point. But there is no way that we could have lifted that by ourselves. That if I was trying to lift that and get it in the truck by myself, it wasn't going to happen, okay? I'd probably still be out in the awning right now trying to lift it. So, but since me and him were together, since we had him on one side and me on the other side, that we were sharing that same goal of getting that bike into the truck. And so since we had both had that same goal, since we both had that same vision, that we were able to do with two people what was impossible with one. And so the same thing applies today in that we have the ability to come together and to do things better together, be able to minister to others better together in a far more effective way than there is with just one person. But that doesn't mean that like we're just helpless with one person, but it just means that our light for Christ, that my individual light for Christ has the ability to connect with all of you, and that your light for Christ has the ability to connect with me, and that your ability for, or your light for Christ has the ability to share with others, and so on and so on and so on. So we know that our light for Christ has to shine for others because we know that there's a world out there that's constantly persecuting it, that's constantly lying and saying that it's not true. So if we go back to Acts 1.8, I believe God just wants to speak something to us and show us just how our light for Christ has the ability to shine for the world. So, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. We have the ability, because the early church prayed in one accord with one another, that they came together in unity in waiting for the, or waiting for the fulfillment of that promise of the Holy Spirit. That just as Joshua and the Israelites marched and marched around the city waiting for the walls to be collapsed, that they were marching in one accord, in unity with one another. That both the early church and the, uh, the Joshua and the leaders marched around, they both shared that same mindset. They both shared that same goal in responding to the Lord with obedience. So we know that we today, March or May 21st, 2022, whatever day, have the ability 
to share that same goal, that we have the ability to share the same goal, to be in one accord with one another, to be in unity with one another, so that we may go out and empower others, that we may go out and spread the light of Christ and be lights of Christ to others in our life. It says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. That you will receive the ability to not only know Jesus' Jesus's teachings, but put those into practice into your own life so that others can see that and others can desire and de- desire that for themselves. It says, but you will receive power. You will receive the ability to know the teachings of Jesus and not only know them, but put them into practice. So we know that God has sent his Holy Spirit down to empower us, to teach us, to comfort us, to guide us in this dark world. But we know that it's better when we're together. It's better than when we're in unity with one another, that we're in harmony with one another. When we're with, in harmony with one another, that we're able to share that light of Christ and be lights of Christ in our community, in the world, in our nation that is direly needing it right now that we have that ability to share Christ. And so I just want to encourage you today to know that simply isolating yourself from one another is not something that God has called us to do. Because me saying that has to be a reminder that I have to tell myself because there are so many times where I choose to isolate and I choose to try to fight my own battles with my own hands and you know, try to fight my own battles just isolated and just close myself up. And, you know, thinking I have it. But rather when we're in unity with one another, that when we're together being encouraged by one another, being influenced by one another, not in the ways of the wicked, but in the way that God has called us to live, that we're able to go out and to do what's impossible, made impossible through God. So let's pray. Dear Lord, I just thank you today, God, that we have the ability to come into this house of worship, God. That we have the ability to come into this house and not only know you, God, but seek to know more of you, Father. God, that we know that all of your promises are yes and amen, God. We know that you are true. We, are that, we know that your love endures forever, Father, and we just thank you for this. God, I just pray that we just don't lose this vision God, we don't lose this mindset that we have, God, that we know that we are better together, that we're better in unity with one another. Father, I thank you just for each and every individual that is in this house today. God, that you just remind them that you speak to them, Father, that they are better together with one another, that they are better together with who is sitting to them on the right, and they're better together with who's sitting to them on the left, and who's sitting to them in the front, and who's sitting to them in the back. God, I just pray that we just be reminded that we are simply better together when we're united and have the same purpose in mind. And that purpose is knowing you, Jesus. That purpose is being transformed by your love. It's being renewed by you, God. Father, we know that we've been called to not be conformed to the patterns of this world, but we've been called to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. So, God, we just thank you, God, that this renewing is something that we just don't do isolated, but it's something that we just do in unity with one another. God, we do this in unity with the saints. Father, we just thank you for this time tonight. We just thank you for this time today that we have with you, God. And I just pray that you just remind us throughout this week that we are better together, that we are better in one accord with one another. 
Father, I just thank you for this time today, and I just thank you that we have the ability and the freedom to come into this house and to learn more about you and spread your name throughout all the ends of the earth. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.